Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome if it's your first time. Really glad to have you here. Uh, welcome to everybody with us online as well. We are one church in two locations and online whose mission is to win down river to Christ. And we are conflicted about a lot of things and maybe none more so than politics. And you're thinking, well, the last thing I want to hear at church is politics. And yet here we are. You can't get away from it, especially in a big election year like this one. And I think a lot of people have this assumption that that's, that's all churches do is talk about politics all the time. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that isn't even close to the truth. There may be some churches that talk politics. A lot of churches just ignore it altogether. But it's something that I think we, we do need to be aware of, especially in a time when it is so divisive. It's stirring up so much trouble. So we, we, you know, we don't even encourage it to be talked about in our small groups because of the divisive potential. It's so polarizing right now and we're, 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 we're going to try and talk about it and yet they say the two things you should never talk about publicly is religion and politics. I'm going to hit both of them. And the thing is, I, I want to be liked. I want to be liked by everybody. But right now already some of you are like, oh no, here we go. Because you already got your guard up. You're already ready to be uh, upset or, or offended. And you're thinking, oh, I've got to find a new church. I know it. Well, relax, relax. It's okay. I, I know we're pitted against one another. They have that kind of mentality right now, but this is a church, and we remember that we have a higher allegiance, a higher priority than that. In the church, we are supposed to be one in Christ, and we got to find a way to continue living together long after this election is over, wouldn't you agree? So this is something I think that we got to figure out, like, what do I believe? Where in the world, in the world, did you get your political philosophy? if you have one at all. I know I'm treading in some areas where there can possibly be strong opinions and strong feelings. I get that. But isn't it time that we let God's Word speak into even our political decisions? Because if Jesus is Lord of our whole lives, then shouldn't He be Lord over all of our decisions as well? He's not just Lord over part of it, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Here's the thing. I know if you're not a Christian... Uh, you're off the hook because you know, I'm, I wouldn't expect you to agree with what I'm talking about, but maybe this will help you understand a little bit better why many of us believe the way we do and also understand that we're not just one big monolithic voting block. We're not. We're all different. We're individuals here. But I think one of the biggest gripes that unchurched people and de-churched people who used to go to church, they've left church because uh, of politics and they hate the way that Christians meddle in politics. But you got to understand that Christians have the same rights as anybody else, okay? And that phrase, separation of church and state, is nowhere in the founding documents. Uh, the, the First Amendment was given to us to protect our freedom of religion, to keep the, the state from establishing a church or interfering in the church, not to keep Christians from influencing the government. And yet we understand we don't want church and state to get intertwined. That's not going to be good for anybody because they each have their own unique God-given roles. So our church doesn't involve itself in political movements. And we don't uh, tell you, uh, here's our official position on this platform or this party. Guys, I have been preaching since Reagan was president, okay, a long time. And I've never once publicly told anybody who to vote for or who to vote against, all right? That, that's not what you come to hear me do. Uh, I have never even publicly criticized a political figure, whether it was Clinton or Bush or Obama or Trump. I got more important things to do, and that is to help you to think more biblically, to be able to look at God's Word 
to let that be your grid through which you filter all your decisions so you can wisely apply them to anything. So what we do is we make biblical pronouncements about issues, moral issues, scriptural issues, where scripture speaks, we speak. And so these principles we look at in scripture don't just apply to here and now, but these are transnational, transcultural principles. Because you look around and all these politicians are always saying that they're going to unite us, right? And that's impossible. And remember, Obama said he was going to unite us. How'd that go? Trump said he would unite us. How's that going? Biden says he'll unite us. Mm, don't think so. It is impossible to unite a bunch of people who have very different worldviews, values, and perspectives. But you know what? We're not looking for a national messiah to come and fix everything. As someone has noted, the kingdom of God will not arrive on Air Force One. It's not going to be found in the Capitol building or in the Supreme Court or at the United Nations. I mean, come on, whoever wins the next election, we're still going to be divided because we have divergent views on what government should and should not do. Isn't that right? I mean, I know we have our Pledge of Allegiance that we are one nation under God, indivisible. Really? Are we? I think we're indivisible as long as we are truly under God, but are we really under God? I think we have very divisible versions of what America should be, principles, values. And so in the church, here's the ideal, is that we would be able to be of one mind. Yeah, we should be able to agree on what God says, to think biblically and make principled decisions. Now, politicians and platforms, they're going to come and go. They're going to always change, but God's word remains the same and the principles are timeless. Now, fortunately, last week we already set up a little bit of this talk today when we talked about what God says about justice and the role of the church and the state and how uh, they are different and should not be confused or reversed, all right? And if you missed that talk, you can watch it on our website, listen to the podcast. But, you know, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, politician, party, they all tend to invoke Jesus, don't they? They all think Jesus is on our side. Jesus gets politicized all the time, and it makes me wonder how people with such different views can look at Jesus and get such totally opposite perspectives, how, how you can look at the same Word of God and come away with such different understandings. Maybe it'll help you think of it in these terms. You ever watch The Office, the TV comedy show, and you know, the, 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 the nice, wonderful couple everybody loves on there is who? Jim and Pam, Right? But did you know others have gone back and looked at all those episodes and have shown clips on how Jim and Pam are actually the two biggest jerks on the show. They treat other people terribly. Or maybe think about the 80s. Remember the old Karate Kid movie? Remember how Daniel was the teenager who was getting bullied by those, those bad guys from Cobra Kai? And so Mr. Miyagi trained him so he could defend himself. You know people have gone back and gone through that movie and shown how Daniel is really the bad guy. He was the bully picking on that poor blonde kid. You say, how can that be? Take a look. And I think that's how political parties view each other. They're the bad guys. They're the bad guys. Well, again, I think it comes back to we've got to make sure we understand the difference between church and state. Not to confuse and reverse those roles. Remember last week we said the government maintains law and order operating by justice. While the church provides spiritual salvation and discipleship operating by grace 
Very different roles. The power of the state is force. The power of the church is love. And also remember that we are dealing not with primary issues of salvation. We are dealing with secondary issues of disputable matters that we can have disagreements on and still be in fellowship. But look, with this growing animosity between Americans of, of different political persuasions, including Christians being divisive, we got to remember we got more important things to do. We have a higher loyalty and we have a, a more important mission and purpose. I know because last week, no, it's been, it's been maybe three weeks now, I just remember a lady called me up and wanted to come in and talk because she was concerned whether she could be a part of this church or any church any longer because she had been called names by fellow Christians who had attributed to her evil intent for her political views. And I said, well, that's not the way it should be in church. I mean, we can have political disagreements and discuss these things with civility and humility and remember that we are part of a holy nation called the church. We all are part of, of the kingdom of God ruled by King Jesus where we are fellow citizens in an eternal kingdom and that's where our first allegiance lies. We are Christians first and Americans or whatever else far below that. And so our big idea is that scripture informs our political values as we understand God's role or purpose for government. All right. So what does God say? Well, a lot of people like to go back to the Old Testament of Israel, which was a theocracy ruled uh, by God under the law of Moses. And they like to quote a lot of scriptures from the Old Testament, like this one from Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Well, who are his chosen people today? It's not Israel. It's not the Old Testament Israel. It's the church. This verse doesn't apply to any nation on earth today. It applies to us. So be careful about applying a theocratic rule of law under Moses to any nation today. And, and you know what? The vast majority of Christians have absolutely no desire to set up a theocracy ruled by God's laws in spite of the popular fantasy put out there by the media that Christians are all just trying to take over the country and force our beliefs on everybody. That's not true. But I think the principle applies that the more people that are submitting to what God says, the better society we will have. Isn't that true? I mean, obviously, we're going to have a better world when people are listening to God. So the question really is, is government doing what God intends? I, I'm just going to give you three basic principles today, and the first is this. God establishes government. We saw that last week. God has all authority, but he has delegated some of it to the state. Now, that doesn't mean that God establishes every single government on earth with all the oppression and tyranny that takes place, but that God establishes government itself to restrain evil. It's, it's not to say all governments are morally equal or are all practicing the right principles. They're not. In fact, we know that because Jesus himself confirms this when he's standing in front of the Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate says to him, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? <laughs> Jesus said, come on, you'd have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. Boom, mic drop. You know, he just burned him there because the only reason you can do this is because God's letting you do it. That's the only power you have. 
So when a government recognizes that really its authority comes from God, that he has made principles for governing correctly, we're going to be better off. Because if government is something that men make up, then they can change the principles. But if government is God's idea, then there are principles to do it right. And we can't change those principles. So what kind of government is God's kind? Well, the New Testament really doesn't say a whole lot about that because, frankly, the only time Jesus spoke about the government, and you think if anybody's going to be calling out the government, it'd be Jesus, but no. They once asked him, uh, what about paying taxes? He says, show me a coin. Whose picture's on it? Caesar's? Okay, then, Matthew 22. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. There you go. Now, of course, everything belongs to God. But we're also subject to civil authorities in a limited way. And it works best when government encourages trust in God, like our nation's motto says, in God we trust. But does government always do that? No, sometimes government actually pushes God to the periphery, drives God out of our public life, bans God. And even when the government attempts to remain neutral, got a lot of air quotes today, guys, so hang with me. Neutral, what it's really saying is that the secular or even pagan view of life is equally as, value as uh, valid as a religious one. And that's not good. But let's say at least the minimum should be the government shouldn't penalize or discriminate against religion. Because we have been blessed in this country with that First Amendment of freedom of religion not from religion. The state should at least make conditions favorable for faith to flourish instead of trying to stamp it out, which sometimes it does. Now, our concern as Christians is to be good citizens. As Rom uh, Romans 13 points out, Paul writes, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Sometimes full time, not all the time. Full time, that's what they should do. Give to everyone what you owe them. If it's taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then honor. We're to respect the authorities. And more than that, we're to pray for them. I mean, praying for the authorities is good for us first because it reminds us who's really in charge. God's in charge no matter what kind of government there is. But more than that, we pray for them so that they can carry out their God-given responsibilities and provide an environment for our good. That's what Paul writes about to Timothy. First Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all those in authority. Okay, you're doing that. Are you praying for them? Why do we do that? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So it's for our good, to protect us from the fear of harm of others and so we can practice our faith without persecution. To what purpose? To what end? Well, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So it's to protect our rights to speak the truth openly and share our faith so that people can be saved. All right, that leads to our second principle. Governments are not God. Now that's exactly what the Roman Empire expected. They, they wanted reverence for the emperor as divine. 
And that's why Christianity was so dangerous because Christians refused to bow the knee and say that Caesar is Lord. They said, no, no, Jesus is Lord. You know, Jesus was seen as a threat by the authorities from the time he was born till the time he was executed. Herod tried to slaughter him in the cradle, and then the Jewish authorities led him to the Roman authorities uh, based on false charges that he was in competition with the king. And then Pilate, that Roman governor, says in John 18, he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? <laughs> Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. I didn't come to start a political rebellion or to lead a social revolution to change the world. I came to change people's hearts one by one. So is Jesus a, an elephant or is he a donkey? He's the Lamb of God. He had more important things to do. He came to die for our sins, to set up a spiritual kingdom that would last forever. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about our earthly environments or, or that politics don't matter. It's just there's something way more important. And so when Pilate stands him up in front of the crowd, what do they say? Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. See, Jesus claimed not only to be king, more than that, he claimed to be God, which is really what was a threat to the whole religious authority establishment because they didn't want Jesus to have their power. I mean, he, the government is always in competition with God for our hearts and minds, right? I mean, people look to the government to play God, to be their provider and their protector and their savior. And let's face it, some things the government can do well, a lot of things government does not do well, and a whole bunch of things government can make a lot worse. Isn't that true? Government's not God. And all attempts to set up some sort of human paradise, They've all failed, and they will always fail without God. Even the best intentions and best ideals crumble without God. Because look around at all these nations that have been atheists and communists, China, North Korea, Cuba, the former Soviet Union. Tyrants and fascists have always demanded unquestioning obedience and you are not to speak out against them. And that's why the church is such a threat to them. That's why atheist communist nations have slaughtered millions of people over the decades, especially Christians, because we dare not bow our knees to them. We speak up and remind them, no, there is a God above you that you are accountable to, that you are answerable to. I think about in China just recently, I read story after story of persecution going on. The, the latest was how Chinese authorities invaded the home of an 84-year-old Christian man and removed the cross from his wall and put up a portrait of President Xi Jinping and said, you will now pray to the president and not to God. That's the tendency of governments apart from God. Government works best when it recognizes the authority of God, that they only have a little bit of authority and they're answerable to God and accountable to God and that our rights come from God and they cannot take God's place. And they should not be trying 
to relegate God to irrelevance or to drive him out of our nation. That's what America was founded on. Limited government with checks and balances. Why? Not only because citizens are all sinful, but because the very people in government are sinful too. And they need to be reined in. And they need to be accountable. And that's why those in power will often do just the opposite of what they should do. And they will punish the innocent and protect the guilty. They will promote immorality and penalize morality. They will suppress the church, undermine the family, and harm their own people. It's the very kind of society the prophet Isaiah condemned long ago when he said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we got folks just like that in our government who call evil good and good evil. Because folks, you can have the very best system of government on the earth, but it's only as good as the people who run it. Isn't that true? We are to obey government only insofar as it doesn't cause us to disobey God. And sometimes we have to stand for what God says. I mean, we have, to, we have to invoke this principle that the apostles laid down where they were drug in to stand on trial and the authorities told them, you are to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, no, no, no. Acts 5, 29. Let's, let's all say this one out loud together. We must obey God rather than human beings. And Christians throughout the centuries and around the world have had to stand on that principle. Right now, it's going on in our own nation, you know, out in California, which forbids churches to have gatherings like this. You cannot sing in church. You cannot have Bible studies in your home. Meanwhile, businesses and other venues are free to be open. Or in Nevada, which has said casinos can have a whole bunch of people in them, but churches can only have a few. Discriminating against churches. And so there are some Christians who have been standing up and said, no, we must obey God rather than human beings. In fact, we're not even the ones really breaking the law. It's you governing authorities that are disregarding the Constitution, and we're going to sue you because we're the government. You work for us. So let's apply this because in America, it is government of the people and by the people. Thankfully, we have a say-so. We get to influence the direction of our nation. How do we do that? Primarily through our vote. So our third principle is to vote for principled government. Do you vote? Are you registered to vote? If not, why not? And do you vote every year or just for the big ones? And this is a big one. So does God care how we vote? Well, I, I think he does insofar as we have the opportunity to be salt and light in society, to impact it positively, to help... Uh, be the conscience of the community, to, to be an answer to those prayers that we can have a free, just, and safe environment where we can practice our faith and openly share our faith with people. We have a say-so in what it should and should not do, how we should be taxed, and how much. Now, back during the Civil War, apparently, President Lincoln was once asked, do you believe that God is on your side? And he said, sir, I'm not concerned that God is on our side, but that we are on God's side, because God is always right. That's a good principle. I want to be on God's side, because Scripture informs our political values 
as we understand God's role for government. So how are you going to vote? How will you vote? Will it be based on the drama in media and the news? Will it be based on the pressure from your friends and family? Will it be based on just your own self-interests and superficial reasons? Or will you vote for principles that are right and true? Will you look to Scripture to get your political values as you understand God's role for government and then let your biblical understanding shape your political decisions instead of the other way around? I've already been made up, make up your mind politically and trying to fit that into the Bible somehow. You know, I, again, I would not tell you who to vote for. But I really want to help you to think biblically because where Scripture speaks, we will speak. And I'm not just going to pick and choose whatever verses that I happen to like or already fit my philosophy. And wherever Scripture speaks on a moral issue that happens to also touch on a political issue, so be it. We've got to speak up because I want to be on God's side. Now, you may not even want to vote. I get that. You may not feel like there's anybody you should vote for. Understood. But you know what? All candidates are sinful. There are no perfect candidates or perfect politicians who we want them to be our spiritual leaders. That ain't going to happen. What we're looking for are people who are going to do what God intends government to do. So you've got to ask, do I really know what they stand for and what they stand against? In what direction are they going to lead our country? And what kind of country are we going to leave our children? Whether we're talking about national, state, local leaders, in what direction are they taking us? So what we do is we open our Bible and we examine what God says, and then we also analyze party platforms and candidates' promises so that we can try to get closest to the ideal. And tragically, sometimes, ain't nobody close to the ideal. So what do we do? Do we just sit it out? Not going to vote at all? Well, to not vote is maybe actually allowing even greater evils to take place, right? So that's not a solution either. It's not necessarily better to do nothing. Sometimes you may have to just vote against someone instead of for someone, or even better, to vote against certain principles. So even if you, you, there's nobody, nobody's name that you can vote for, at least write in a name. Because I don't think we can sit it out when the state continues to encroach on our lig- religious liberties more and more. Nobody wants a state-endorsed church. Nobody wants state-endorsed prayers. Uh, but look, we're at a point now where Christians are afraid to speak out. Because they might get fired. On the universities, Christians are muzzled and Christian clubs are discriminated against. In our schools, prayers and references to Scripture are are not allowed in student speeches. Children are instructed with anti-Christian teachings about gender and sexuality and not even allowed to be excused from it. The courts have been destroying the meaning of marriage, undermining the family. Some senators have even tried to uh, pass religious tests on court nominees to discriminate against Christians being judges. Laws have been passed to force Christian organizations to pay for abortion-inducing drugs, and some want us all to pay for abortions, that our money would subsidize sin. And that should sound an alarm. That, that's not good. 
that, that, that's not us forcing our faith on anybody. That's secular values being forced on us. We even have to support it. You say, well, I'm, I'm not politically interested. Well, whether you are or not, politics are coming for you. Because when bad ideals win the day, everybody gets hurt and people die. You say, well, that can't happen here. Oh, sure it can. Because if we withdraw, then we are more likely to see more of our liberties eroded and stripped away. As we become more of a marginalized minority, and we are, bad things are going to happen if we don't speak up. Anybody who holds a biblical view of morality and marriage will be silenced. Biblical preaching will be called hate speech. Our social media posts will be censored. And regulations will bankrupt and close church doors. Oh, that could never happen here. Oh, it's happening all over the place. And it will happen if we let it. I mean, who would have even thought a, a few months ago that the government authorities would force churches to close their doors? Unthinkable. But here we are. You say, well, that's because of the virus. I get it. I know. But again, who's to say? As more and more people with an anti-Christian agenda take positions of power, what they will cause to happen. Now, the good news is, no matter who's in office, no matter what government we're under, kingdoms come and go. God's kingdom is eternal. God's kingdom marches on, and one day he will usher in his kingdom and overthrow all governments, and every knee will bow to King Jesus. It's coming, but we ain't there yet. We ain't there yet. Back then, Jesus had to stand on trial before Pilate and answer to him. But one day, Pilate's going to stand before Jesus and answer to him. So, until then, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Our primary mission is ushering in more of the kingdom of God as we share the good news of Jesus and change one heart at a time because that's really the best way to change the world. Let's pray about it. God, our Father, we pray for the church and we pray for the state because really they're both blessings from you when, when you know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Help us to be good citizens here, but most of all, to be united as citizens of your kingdom. And you told us to pray for those in authority, so we're going to ask that you give them wisdom. It's a tough job, a lot of tough decisions, God. But help them to serve in a way that's for the good, that we can live peaceful lives and safety with, with freedom and, and uh, to worship, to preach, to witness to others, God. We're so thankful for the freedom that we have, the peace and the prosperity that we enjoy. We take it for granted, Lord. We think everything's so awful, and God, you have blessed us in so many ways. We, we want to we pray for the well-being and protection of our nation and really the whole world, uh, especially recovering from this virus. We pray for your will to be done in this upcoming election and that we would be salt and light to influence it rightly. And, and that, God, we don't get so wrapped up and worked up in political dramas and fights and we, our words get full of bitterness and name-calling. But help us to be full of grace, not to burn any relational bridges over politics, 
but to show love to everybody, even those we disagree with and even those who see us as enemies. Let our attitude always draw people to you and not drive them away because we want your kingdom to capture our passion more than the kingdoms of this world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus was not really executed as a criminal. You know that. He came down here to willingly lay down his life for your sins and mine, to forgive us. And he rose from the dead so that we could be with him forever in his eternal kingdom. Do you want him to be your Lord? Do you, do you want to be in his kingdom or just in the kingdom of this world? Are you willing to bow your knee to King Jesus now? Will you believe in him? Will you repent of your sins? Will you pledge your allegiance to him in baptism? If you're ready to do that, we would love to help you take that step and make the best decision of your life. So text us, 734-304-7248, or email us next at southpointccc.com. Somebody would love to answer your questions, to pray with you, to help you uh, take your next step to get more committed, connected, and contributing if you're, if you're ready to do that today, though, out in the lobby on your way out, go to rooms A, B, C, or D. There'll be people out there that would love to help you with that, okay? Now, next week, we're conflicted about science and how to reconcile that with Scripture. So we're going to take that on, and then in two weeks, we're going to be talking about drugs and weed and conflicted about that stuff, too. So uh, on your way out today, make sure that you wish one another a blessed week. Keep that social distance. Stay connected to God and to us and invite somebody. We'll see you next week. God bless.